This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Dan Clark talks films on Fubar Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of Screen Talk with me, Dan Clark. I am uh, sat here recording this show from my laptop. I'm in an Airbnb. Uh, I've been away for the last two weeks, but I'm committed to this show. So whilst I've been away, I've actually been interviewing people um, uh, because I'm dedicated to bring you this show on a weekly basis. Um, this show, if you're a first listener, this is a show where I uh, where I talk to producers, writers, directors, actors, comedians, composers, editors. It can be anyone who works in the uh, world of film and television. Um, And uh, we discuss their influences, things they like, their work, and a guilty pleasure, a film that they, they love, even though they know it's shit. Or maybe they don't think it's shit. Maybe they think it's misunderstood or an underrated classic. Uh, Today's guest is Dean Craig. He's a screenwriter who, um, he's someone I've known for a while. And uh, uh, I'm very happy to be chatting to him. Um, he's had, I mean, five, six screenplays of his filmed, um, which is um, it's an amazing achievement. Uh, if you know anything about this business, you know how difficult it is to get stuff financed and uh, distributed. And Dean has actually got a proper long CV of work that has been uh, made. So uh, we get to, we'll we'll chat about his work and his guilty pleasure, something I was very, very excited about. Uh, First of all, I'll kickstart the show with a song. We like to play songs on this show, um, always from films, could be from TV, and it could be score. Uh, This is a song uh, by Jose Gonzalez, um, or Josie Gonzalez, uh, as I like to call him. Uh, this is from the film Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which was a film that uh, was released a few years back. Um, ben Stiller wrote it, directed it. Um, he starred in it. And I think this was, unfortunately, didn't do brilliant business at the box office. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was too sweet. Maybe it was something to do with the way it was released, you know, what people thought it was going to be. But I actually really like this film. I mean, it's obviously, it's not perfect. It's got holes, most films have. But there was something about it that just really touched me. I thought I loved the sentiment of it. And of all the films that uh, Ben Bensler has directed, I think this is the best film he's directed. Uh, just from a direct point of view I think I love the cinematography the locations the production design there's just a great feel I actually also really love the score I'm not talking about the songs although I love the songs as well but the score was beautiful and uh, this song by Jose Gonzalez was kind of used parts of its motifs and uh, hooks were used in the score as well but this is a song from the soundtrack and uh, it's one of my favorites here you go Dan Clark talks films on Fubar Radio. That was Stay Alive by Jose Gonzalez. Uh, now, a bit of film news before we uh, before I introduce our first and only guest for today's show. A bit of film news. Um, uh, there's been some pictures released uh, of Tom Cruise, Thomas Cruise Mapper the Third, on uh, on the set of The Mummy. Uh, they're doing a reboot of The Mummy. Of course they are. Everything needs to be rebooted at some point. If it's been five years, I think that warrants a reboot. Or in the case of Spider-Man, six months. Um, but uh, there's some photos released. And it just got me thinking, like, where's the Tom that did films like Jerry Maguire, 
Magnolia, even though at the time that was still kind of a weird choice for him, but brilliant. Um, a Few Good Men, uh, Cocktail. <laughs> but, you know, joking aside, I love Cocktail. You know, the, the, the sort of more, the, the comedy dramas and the dramas and the acting films. And, you know, Tom isn't like a character actor, we all know that. But when he's on fire, I think Tom Cruise is amazing. And, of course, I have to separate the man from the artist because, obviously, there's some questionable things there. But, um, you know... I, I love Tom Cruise films. What can I say? Uh, I think the man has uh, a charm and um, he's, just, he's, just, he's just fucking watchable. He's just great, I think. I do love the Mission Impossible films. Uh, I, I particularly love the recent ones. They're really fun. But I just want him to do a few more, I don't know, just a few more like Jerry Maguire's. You know, where's Jerry Maguire 2, 3 and, uh, you know, Magnolia 4? Um what else is in the news? In the news, there is, it has been announced that Joe McHale from Community, the TV series Community, uh, is going to play Chevy Chase in a uh, in a film for Netflix about the founders of National Lampoon. Um, can't really see the similarities there, but um, he's a good comic actor and uh, I, I'm really excited about this film because it's... Uh, Definitely a, a very important part of comedy, both in uh, just generally across the board, but specifically in movies. And uh, I wonder how um, I wonder how uh, Chevy Chase is going to be portrayed because uh, he's not a man with a great reputation, um, but someone I adore. Uh, going back to the first vacation, Fletch, uh, he, he's you know he's just a great, and of course SNL. Um, what other news do we have? Oh, yeah, this um, this caught my attention. Um, at this uh, bit of news here, Andy Serkis's Jungle Book Origins, pushed back to 2018. That's Andy Serkis's. This is Jungle Book colon Origins. So I, I presume this is like, well, it can't be... It can't be Mowgli because he's already a kid and we already know the origins. So is it like, I don't know, Baloo when he was a baby bear or something? Um, I mean, this whole origins thing and building out universes uh, seems to be, uh, you know, a thing of the moment. And I, you know, there's been rumours or I think it's actually been confirmed that um, there's going to be a Men in Black uh, 21 Jump Street crossover, which... By the way, I love Men in Black films and I love the Jump Street films, so I'm intrigued. But it's just crazy that it's just it's gone beyond the superhero films and now they're going to start doing it with everyone. I wonder where this will go. You know, I'd love it if they started doing that with serious films. With um, there'd be a crossover between Mike Lee's, you know, uh, Life is Sweet and Ken Loach's Kez. Um, you know, if they started doing it in really sort of kitchen sink dramas, um, I doubt they will. I don't know if you can build. Ken Loach's universe um, be interesting uh, but this film has been pushed back I wonder if it's because obviously there's The Jungle Book that's coming out um, I think in over in this country it's out next mm, next week I think uh, and then probably next month uh, over there um, so that's the film news so my guest today is Dean Craig uh, Dean is a screenwriter uh, you may know some of his work he wrote the films A Few Best Men the forthcoming sequel A Few Less Men uh, Moonwalkers which is coming out soon uh, Death at a Funeral and Death at a Funeral Dan Clark Talks Films on Fubar Radio Dean uh, Hello, yeah. Dean 
Hi. <laughs> um, let's start with that film, because um, I think that's probably the film that was, for you and your career, kind of the pivotal mm. moment. Is that, yeah. Is, yeah. Still, still is. Still is. <laughs> Are you a bit annoyed that we're still talking about it? Uh, no, no. I love, I love talking about it. It's weird that you... It's not many people get to do the same film twice with a complete... I mean, they couldn't be so more different as well. Well, do you know what? You say they couldn't be more different, but there is one that is even more different, which is the Bollywood musical version of the film. Are you serious? Yeah, do you not know about that? No, I did not know that. God, I haven't Um, done my research. I actually was looking at your IMDb and there is no mention of that one. Well, interestingly, they didn't didn't credit me, but if you look at the film or look at the... Rather than watch it, just look at it. (laughs) Yeah, I would probably recommend that. But um, it's... um, Yeah, they didn't... they, They kind of snuck it under the radar a little bit, the film. Um, and then someone at one point sent me a trailer to it and said, isn't this your film? Didn't you do this? And I looked at it and it's basically, it is Death at a Funeral. It was like watching the trailer for Death at a Funeral, but with Indian actors um, who looked vaguely like the the actors that did the English one. <laughs> so it's very kind of bizarro world. Um, and they didn't, but they seem not to be able to find a dwarf for the Peter Dinklage part. So it's just a, a small man. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. That's like, they were like, even though we this is a remake, we must try and cast them as close to the original <laughs> as possible, even yeah. though it's a totally different race. So what, how come you didn't know it was happening? Uh, because they didn't, they just didn't tell anyone. Um, they just that, went off and made it, I guess. That's not allowed, is it? Uh, <laughs> it's certainly not allowed here. Um and so did did you i mean i can't imagine you're the sort of person that's like right we're gonna sue the shit out of these people but um did you try and sue the shit out of them uh well not personally no. but um but i that i is... basically told the the production company and i said <clears throat> you know you might want to know about this <laughs> little thing that's going on so then they yeah they they kind of worked something out okay and I mean, it's a shame it's not a, a masterpiece, the Bollywood version, because yeah. w- how great would it be to have like cornered, we've got the UK comedy <laughs> version, we have the, um, uh, the American black cast version, we have the amazing <laughs> Bollywood, I mean, it would just be, what would you need to do next? You'd need to do... Like a Chinese John uh, yeah. Woo version. Uh, that that is the next one, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's I I have I have watched some of the film. I didn't watch it to its completion, although. But then, but then I hadn't. Then someone said to me, "But what did you think of the end credits?" And I was like, "I don't know. I haven't seen the end credits." And he and we watched it. And we watched the end credits, and it's basically about fifty women dancing in lingerie. Um, which is a really weird ending to the film. <laughs> it seems to have nothing to do with anything, but um, wow. and it's got songs in it, and yeah. it's got mu- like music videos. It's quite, you know, it's if you, quite yeah. If you, entertaining. If, you, if you like those uh, Bollywood films, then yeah, it's called Daddy it Cool, is what they called it. They changed the name, so they also stole somebody else's song title as well. <laughs> wow, this is just a bunch of thieves making films. Uh, um, so you may uh, you you shot and may or well you probably shot death at a funeral in two thousand six or something. Was it we been? shot in two thousand six. Yeah, because it was out in two thousand seven. And uh, is this a film that you? Uh, 
It was, it's not your first film, though, is it? No, no, your it was first, my second film. I haven't seen your first film. I was okay. going through your credits, and I, 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 you're, you're a bit like, what? Uh, why haven't you watched everything I've done in preparation? Um, what was your first film? Um, so my first film was a film called Caffeine. Yeah. Um, which, which is was, an American movie, right? Well, it, it was a sort of a weird, weird scenario because it was certainly written as an English film set in an English coffee shop. Um, and, but then it was, it was taken on by an American director and producer. And the, the plan was always to make it still English. And then at a certain point he said, you know what, we're not going to be able to make this in England. We're going to make it here in LA. And I was like, okay, so we're going to transpose it to America. He's like, no, 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 it will still be English and an English coffee shop. But what ended up happening was they got a lot of, they got some English actors and then quite a few American actors to play English people, which, as you know, is always yeah. is always a recipe for success. <laughs> Wasn't the, the poster is just use uh, um, selling the film on all the American actors? Uh, yes. Well, the American actors were far more prominent. Yeah. So yeah. you go into it thinking, okay, here's an American film, yeah. and then everyone's suddenly English. It must be quite a bizarre experience to watch it yeah. <laughs> when you don't know what's going to happen. How do you feel about the film? Because it sounds to me like a lot of, from having after you wrote it, a lot of the process of making it was you didn't necessarily have much involvement. Is that Fair um, assessment? Yeah, well, not that I didn't have much involvement, but I certainly didn't have much power or say over the creative direction the film took. Um, but you must have been really excited that your film was getting made. Well, right? yeah, so yeah. there was a lot of... There was a lot of sort of all sorts of feelings going on yeah. <laughs> at, the same, at the same time. You were also an adolescent, so you were going through puberty. I uh, was yeah. 12. Um, <laughs> I, how, how old were you? I was 30. 30, 30 right, yeah. yeah. So I was very, you know, it was amazingly exciting. I was here in, I, I came to LA for the for the shooting of the film. And yeah, it was the first thing I'd ever written. It was the first thing I had made and it was you know, and suddenly I'm in Hollywood. It was amazing. Watching Americans. Weird. Watching Americans. Speaking in, with English accents. <laughs> yeah. Doing a script going, we, it's not we quite had, how I imagined no, it. exactly. And then we had, but we had this brilliant dialect coach. Um, she was kind of this, this woman, I, I don't remember her name, unfortunately, but she'd done sort of so many, you know, really good films. And she was really excellent at her job. Um, but after three days, she left the film and went on to do went off to do, I think, a Roman Polanski film. So then we were in a bit of a situation where we had six American actors doing English accents and no dialect coach. Okay. And then I tried to be the dialect coach. Which <laughs> By is a just role going, I hadn't, copy me. <laughs> yeah, say it yeah. exactly how I say it. Uh, but that's not the perfect way of doing it. Okay. So um, you did that film, yeah. Caffeine, and then you your next film was Death at a Funeral. Yeah. That uh, did Caffeine help you get that, or was that? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'd um, so it, it, it must I've... help that you, suddenly you are a writer with an actual film that's been made. Well, yeah, yeah. absolutely, and um, and there's this sort of the element that before the film comes out, then you. No one knows whether it's going to be good or bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, so people are uh, quite excited about you, and you have a little yes, bit of a little window of heat. You have a window <laughs> of heat uh, and of hope, and yeah. And so, 
I was a- and I was in LA, and so I was able to, on the back of having had caffeine made, I was able to get uh, an agent and my lawyer. Uh, the lawyer came first, actually. I think that's the way the yeah. way to do it. Maybe um, a lot of people, some of the listeners here, won't fully understand like a lawyer why have you got a lawyer like is that to cover your back in case you do something wrong but you have to have a lawyer here you yeah. know back home you have an agent that does all your everything for you here yeah. you have like several different people who represent you and i guess probably because there's more money to be made in la that, yes yeah yeah so everyone takes some commission yeah and uh yeah but the lawyer is is a an entertainment lawyer who specializes in entertainment law and so well yeah helps you to do your contracts and someone very maybe you should have spoken to after the bollywood film uh i'm sure i did (laughs) i'm sure i mean he was probably my first yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. um so so you went with the death at a funeral did you spec that script or was it an idea that you pitched um yeah i spec'd it i um do you like doing that is that a thing you prefer doing them um i've sort of found myself getting nervous of pitching something in case people don't fully you know for for an industry that is based on imagination there's a lot of people that seem not to have it so you kind of want to sort of by having a script it you know, there's no ambiguity about your vision of it. If you know what exactly. I, mean. I think, you know, you're, you're, yeah, if you're depending on people's imaginations, you're, and you're hoping that they're going to see what you want them to see, and it yeah. just doesn't work like that in, in reality. And I think with Death at a Funeral, for example, it would have been a very difficult film to pitch because then you're, you're saying, I don't even know how I would pitch it. It's like, a, oh, so it's a comedy, but it's set at a funeral. So that already doesn't sound great yeah. on from a pitching perspective. And then to to try to describe all the characters and the details and you know, I just think it would and have it's, been it's all pretty much in one house. It's if all I in one right. house. Yeah. It's almost in real time. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's not it's not gonna it's not the best pitch. It's a terrible <laughs> pitch. Um They'd so be like, Wow, where's uh, so are there explosions? Are there what's <laughs> Exactly. There's nothing, you know. So all the the comedy, you, you and you sort of, for the for the 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 really funny moments to to feel funny. I think you need to have explained everything that leads up to that moment. Right. right. So and the characters. Yeah. And the, so it would be a really long pitch yeah. as well. Um, so anyway, so I wrote it on spec, and there is something about doing, and I kind I kind of haven't had time to do one of those lately. But there's something about writing something with no one else's eyes on it where mm-hmm. it's just you and you're just doing exactly what you think is the right way to go about it and there's so there's a certain purity in in that kind of writing um and also there's which, um when something from my experience is when you write when you're being paid to write <clears throat> and you know that you're trying to get this commit like greenlit you start doing the second guessing thing in your head of like, do what do they do? They want this. Maybe mm-hmm. they won't want this. So then you're not really writing in the moment, as it were. Yeah. And that's another tough thing that I think people forget that yeah, you, you know, it's not just about writing. It's also the politics of writing as well. You know. It's very true. Yeah. And so at that point, at the point that I, when I wrote that film, I didn't have really a sense of what people would want what certainly what not what hollywood would want or what my agent would want or anything like that so it was yeah there was there was sort of no politics involved and i and i was writing it as something 
um, my 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 direction with that was that I'm going to write this very very small, makeable hundred thousand pound film that I will be able to direct, mm-hmm. and that and it's that was it. And it will be and your so, big introduction to the world. Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't th- I don't even know. I mean, I probably was thinking of it, my introduction to the world, but I wasn't thinking. Oh, it's going to be a big success or anything yeah. like that. I just wanted to make make it and i felt like it this could be good this was your rocky uh, yeah except that i d- i went a different direction yeah. to rocky so <laughs> i see a lot of similarities well you know i mean you're referring to the sylvester stallone story that i i guess where he was offered like a lot of money yeah. for his script yeah yeah uh and he was like no well they, they they offered him a lot of money if they could put a star in it put, and right, he was yeah. like i'll take less but yeah and Which I've tried many times and right. it's never worked. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. were you doing other jobs at the time? Um, were you having to do a day job? Or at the other? time, yeah. At the time I was writing Death at a Funeral, actually, and, and Caffeine was just, was, you know, hopefully going to go into production at that point. I was working as a PA, ah. a personal assistant yeah. for, for a man. Um, <laughs> just for a man. For a man, yeah. <laughs> just wow. this man hired yeah. me. Okay. So you do my personal stuff. Yeah. Um, and you're like, but I must know what you do. And he's like, <laughs> I don't want you to ever know. No. This, uh, just do my laundry, uh, pick up my coffees. It was, uh, yeah. Was it was someone in the business? It was in the business, okay. yes. He the was business. someone that worked in distribution and he was a very, very eccentric individual and extraordinarily difficult <laughs> to work for in every way which was good in a way because it made me very yeah. motivated i was like jesus this script has to be yeah. really fucking good otherwise oh. i may have to stay working for this man oh wow oh, well it's good yeah. i think that's something that once you make enough money to not have to do the day job it does maybe take some of that that drive out of you a bit or that that you definitely, need. yeah. Well, you, maybe you don't feel that need to like stay up till three in the morning yeah. and you know and just sort of torture yourself over every line and every scene in the way that you do when you're. Although you know, I did, desperate. I, I've often thought, beat myself up about like how much do I struggle for my art, that sort of thing. Mm. And then I was reading the Difficult Men book, which is about all those showrunners that did you know Breaking Bad and Sopranos and stuff. And David Chase. He sort of suffered the same thing that he was a relatively successful TV writer, for, but but worked on shows as a member of the staff. Mm. So he had a nice lifestyle, and he used to feel guilty because you know he would be like, "I want," he want he always wanted to be a filmmaker and and be the struggling man that goes and makes his piece of art. But um, it didn't stop him from making you know one of the greatest TV shows of all time, mm. and possibly. Even even in the world of cinema as well, just one of the greatest pieces of storytelling. Mm. Um, so you know, whenever I think, oh, you know, I'm sort of sitting around doing nothing today, I feel bad. I just think of David Chase. I thought to do, <laughs> not but that he did nothing. No, know, so no. Very but I think most most writers have that, don't they? Where they're sitting around doing nothing a lot of the time and feeling guilty and. It's, a, it's, it's a awful. Dive. So you you specced it, and then did you you just sent it around, and uh, people? Well, did, did you get a good reaction straight away? Did you need to do lots of rewrites? Um, so what had happened is I so I, I took on so I took on these producers, um, um, 
so a guy called Larry Malkin and uh, Cher Stallings were the, were the producers. That, Brilliant names. Yeah. I hope you hide them based purely on their name. That was all. Yeah. That was the only <laughs> reason. The second guy's name? <laughs> Cher? Cher Stallings is a lady. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like Cher. Cher. Yeah, and I, and I was staying at her house and I would always refer to I'm staying at Cher's house and people did think <laughs> that I was staying at... The share. Amazing, yeah. Um, and I hope you didn't correct them. No, of course yeah, not. Good. And then suddenly I got this phone call from Cher saying, Frank Oz wants to direct this film and he's going to call you um, to discuss it. So then I'm, yeah, so that was a weird. So again, like you must have been both disappointed and really excited. Or um, just disappointed. Yeah, no, it was, <laughs> it was. I mean, the well, guy... very excited. Um, and he, but he has directed some amazing films like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, What About Bob, and Bowfinger I Love as well. Mm. So this is a guy that knows what he's doing. You must yeah. have been like, fuck, okay, this is... Well, yeah, and suddenly, like, when you're looking at Dean Craig, age 30, whatever, I think he was still 30, directing, or Frank Oz, yeah. with um, quite an incredible career behind him, it was a difficult... Uh, match up for me yeah to be frank and then and did you at any point try and fight for like look, I, I still I th- you know frank is brilliant like but this I d- is my I, movie yeah i mean I, t- I had a lot of conversations with people about it um and look you know there is a parallel universe where i you know where i said no and well um, we don't know what happened <laughs> well either the film never got made or or i i directed it and it was amazing or i directed it and it was terrible yeah there's all sorts of possibilities which we'll never know about but um or, um so then and you mentioned the cast a brilliant cast as early early dinklage yeah who did you did you even imagine he would go on to be such a global superstar well i was already i already knew about him of course from station yeah. agent so well, I, I love that film yeah, so much brilliant yeah. film, and he is brilliant in it so yeah, it was. Um, Why was it weird that people were like, "Wow, a, like a dwarf that can really act"? Like those two <laughs> things were mutually exclusive, or something. There was right. like a real revelation that someone, you know, uh, someone that that the well, two things. I th- yeah, it's it's very true, and I think what was sort of groundbreaking about Peter Dinklage is that he. Um, who was in my dream the other night? Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, strangely. Is it a dream you can talk about? Um, uh, yeah it was uh, and I told the person two nights ago I was uh, I was attending my friend's female friend's wedding right and she was getting married to Peter Dinklage brilliant it was <laughs> I don't know why I have nothing there's nothing more oh, know, well intrigued, yeah, maybe yeah. we'll spend a bit of time uh, analyzing on a, that. yeah after the show yeah yeah but anyway um, but yeah what, what it was qu- quite groundbreaking about him i think is that with the station agent as far as i'm aware that was a part that was not written for a dwarf it was really written for, yeah oh wow um but i think that uh tom mccarthy sort of found peter Dinklage and was we've just got to use this guy yeah just adds a and then he's the, really the one link other than yourself of course to the remake which we cut to like five years later and suddenly you're doing the film again yeah in america not, not even five years it was actually it was actually two years after the release that we went into uh, into production on really? the remake yeah okay 
And how did that come about? That was Chris Rock uh, starring in. Was Did he produce it as well? Or um, He did, yeah. So um, the way that came about was that Chris Rock was sitting in a, in a cinema watching the original Death at a Funeral. And I think he was watching it in a sort of an arty cinema because the way they released the film in the US was almost like an art, art film, yeah. which is quite odd. But, yeah. And... Um, and he was aware that, and he became aware that he was the only black person to have seen the movie. Right. That uh, certainly that he knew of. And so he realized there's this whole audience that have never even heard of this film. Uh, let's sort of remake it for a kind of a more commercial audience and, and you know, an African-American audience wow. who, who he thought would love it. Um, but if that's his only remit for remaking films, there must be thousands of films he could remake. I guess so, yeah. By the way, as a side note, it is genuinely one of the great titles of a film. Oh, I think you and I have thanks. actually spoken about this before, about how difficult it is to come up with titles. And mm. I mean, it's just brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I remember when I came up with it, and pe- it some people thought it was quite depressing because it's got death and funeral in the title. Yeah, I suppose. You could, if you did a different poster with it, Yeah, it could be, but... Yeah, if it was a drama, it would yeah. really... <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, <laughs> really oh my depressing. God, how much death is there? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I was quite... I, I did like it, and I, and I think I have to credit the film, the play and film Murder by Death, mm-hmm. which was a Neil Simon... Yeah, yeah. Um, film a play which which I remember really loving actually when I was a kid and um, yeah it just sort of stuck in my head so and did did you enjoy the process of remaking the movie in America oh, well yeah you, you the, the original was in even though it had American uh, director and producers attached it was all shot in uh, the UK right the, 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 original, the original yes yeah. yeah so then this one was did you enjoy that process or was there any kind of oh no that's not how the film was well or? what what was quite um what what was more relaxing about the remake than I have had with other films is that it, well there's always that one yeah the original one there yeah, yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean so you don't f- you, it, in a really weird set of circumstances this was not my only shot at getting yeah. this film right so um so from that perspective, it was um, it was good, but it was you know like the the truth is the original one was the one that I was really close to me, um, you know where I was on set every day and working very closely with Frank, and it was um, very much felt like my movie. And of course, when you get to America and doing an American movie, that's also a studio movie with people like Chris Rock, mm-hmm. with a director like Neil Labut, who's obviously very done a lot of a lot of stuff and a lot of Which, great that, stuff that was kind of a weird choice as well yeah very unusual yeah but then yeah. he has made quite a lot of odd choices since yeah. his early because he was a sort of indie darling wasn't he yes and then he's made some films that sort of made people slightly scratch their head yeah. as in like so what what kind of director are you now? <laughs> <laughs> and I think he probably likes that about it. Just the really? idea that, yeah, of just doing something, oh, this is quite different yeah. for me. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, See, I like that in people that have the courage to do that and not worry about how people are perceiving their career. Yeah, absolutely. Some people get a bit too bogged down with that. I, and it, and it's easy to see why, because people get so criticised and, you know, but he is someone that, yeah, and I, I remember him sort of saying that he... You know, he he's, feels pretty much privileged to be invited anywhere to direct. I mean, yeah. it's an amazing thing to be asked to direct a film. So yeah. he's not... And this would have been a studio movie as it well? It was a studio yeah, movie, yeah. So a privilege 
for someone like him to do a studio True. film as well and a comedy and you know, something that's very clearly a yeah. comedy but that isn't you know well it's dark but it's not as dark as his stuff yeah often goes and he did the he'd worked with chris rock before hadn't he on the yes what was the film with it was was it nurse betty was um, he in nurse betty maybe not it was nurse that betty. Is yes it nurse betty? i think so with renee Zellweger. yeah he could That's be it. right. I don't yeah. know. Okay, I should do my <laughs> homework. Look it up. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, they definitely worked together before, and you know, so one wanted to do to do so again. But anyway, but when you've got all these sort of people, and um, it was, yeah, it was it was a less intimate affair, I would say, and mm-hmm. and you know, you had much sort of you had quite a few sort of big people that were sort of you know had what they want so you know my voice was very meek i would mm-hmm. say in that, in that you were a, you were a, uh you were more of a herb than a sort of main piece of meat or yeah. a vegetable <laughs> i don't know where this analogy is <laughs> going that's pretty yeah that's how i would describe it yeah whereas you were the uh you were the whole dish in the uh UK Not the whole dish, dish <laughs> but I was a more substantial part of the dish. I really wish I hadn't started this strange <laughs> food analogy. Uh, how do you feel about remakes in general? Do you um, feel like some there are any good ones? Uh, I was having a little look at uh, some uh, remakes, uh, mm. a list of remakes, and I think the one one of the ones that's considered uh, a good remake in that it's either as good as the original or maybe better is The Departed. Right. Uh, Casino Royale is that con- some people say that's a remake but um, um, Ocean's wasn't, Eleven wasn't the fir- wasn't the original Casino Royale was the Peter Sellers yeah kind it, was of co- it was a comedy, comedy so thing. A, yeah what was the ne- next Ocean's one? Eleven yeah um, my favourite remake is Three Men and a Baby is that a remake it's a remake I didn't know that yeah, what, of, of a French farce oh, I think okay which you must be you must know all that because Essentially, it's a farce, right? Death at a funeral. Yeah, so yes, must... it is. It, I didn't sort of initially go out to make a farce, actually. Did, but at what point did you realise it was a farce? I think it was when someone told me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I I, yeah. I I think quite often I write stuff, and you kind of I feel like I need someone else to tell me what right. it is. Yeah, and then it sort of helps you because you know you can have a vision for something but you maybe your writing style suits doesn't isn't what your vision is if you know what i mean you just yes. naturally go in a slightly different well i think that's an interesting point and actually the the the, the truth if you want the truth no we want <laughs> we want the pr live version no go on the truth of is course. that when i was first writing death at a funeral um my very first like versions of it were you know i knew i wanted to set to to set something entirely at a funeral and kind of do something a little bit quirky but it was much more drama and it was much more real and kind of gritty and you know and i was going for that um and and actually the films that i tend to watch and tend to like tend to be of that nature like much more sort of dark and gritty and wrenching anyway and i was writing it like that and then i think at a certain point i was getting a bit depressed about it um (laughs) and and then i started having these sort of funny ideas and the funny ideas sort of just led me in that direction i was like oh that that would be really funny if you fell out of the coffin that would be really funny actually and then i sort of went in that you wanted to make it more of a comedy or just well that's the thing cheer yourself up well it was a, a mixture really but it was really sort of having a better idea 
I guess, or having a good idea and just following that. And then in, in, in writing it to that direction, then of course the tone shifted um, and it shifted quite significantly from mm -hmm. the, you know, I'd love to find the very first version yeah. of it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so it shifted much more into a, into a comedy and there, there we go. And you've got know. a sequel coming out. Um, it, this time it's, you're back with funerals. Well, there is. What is your there obsession is a, with? Funerals? I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably a bit, a little bit obsessed with death in general. Really? And my, yeah. You know, I suppose my way of dealing with it is to make comedy out of it in yeah. some form. So is yeah. it all the same? All the same cast returning, um, apart from the one in the coffin. Uh, yes. It's was well, basically. Um, yeah. I mean, it's our main. Th it's, it's three of the main guys. Yeah from the original but it's a road trip movie yeah okay and when does that come out uh, i think the end of this year uh moonwalkers yeah which, which is, is that out in the uk it comes out in the uk in may okay may yeah um but that is a kind of an action comedy of sorts yeah it's, uh, it feels a bit different to the other stuff yeah i've not actually seen it but because it's not out yet but um are you? Can you describe the plot of that for us? Yeah, it's set in 1969, and it's about the uh, basically the the plot is that the CIA are planning a to to film a fake moon landing in case the real one doesn't work out. Okay, and so they send the CIA operative played by Ron Perlman to London to find Stanley Kubrick to because he's obviously the best person yeah. around, and you may know about the yeah the rumors the, the rumors he, yeah. Uh, anyway, but and he doesn't recently some fake footage of that him was weirdly coming out yeah. yeah which came out like two days or something before the film got released here really yeah it was very it, odd. it wasn't nothing the, to do with no no it actually wasn't oh, okay um anyway and so he goes to london uh and he but he doesn't find stanley kubrick but instead finds this kind of young opportunist band manager played by rupert grint who pretends to know stanley kubrick so that he can get the money that's on offer anyway and the long story short is that Ron Perlman and Rupert Grint have to end up making this fake moon landing film themselves. Okay. Um, and is there lots of, you know, um, how do they fake spaceships and things like that? Well, spaceships. Listen yeah. To me, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Shuttles. I don't know. What do you call it? Space. You need the, well, you need the uh, LED. Yeah. I think it's called. Um, anyway, and so they, they, they have to hire a director to, to help do it yeah. but the only person they know is this uh kind of insane um drug adult um kind of german guy basically who is like an avant-garde director uh and who lives in this house full of naked women and you know it's just like a constant orgy going on wow um and so that's the person they get to do it but without actually telling him what he's really doing. Okay. Um, so anyway. Everyone's lying to everyone. everyone yeah, there's a yeah. lot of lying. There's kind of gangsters involved. There's like other CIA operatives that get, you know, there's sort of, there's certainly some actions some violence. It's, so it's quite, it's, a, it's got a different kind of slightly different tone to stuff I've done before. Yeah. So before we talk about your guilty pleasure, um, we're going to play your choice of music. Uh, do you want to introduce this one for us? Um, yeah, this is White Shade of Pale. This is from the beginning, uh, the very beginning of Withnail and I. It's the live version by Procol Harum. And just before we play, is this a film? Is this like one of your favourite films? Is this in your top something? Yeah, this is probably my favourite film. And it's quite annoying 
Ever? Yeah. Really? I think so. I'm always impressed when people can say they have a favourite film. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's, there's of course, others that are, you know, up there or whatever. This one just means something to you. It's, it's got the, it's got everything that, it it ticks so many boxes of favourite films. So, like, I, I love it as a film. I also have deep, deep held nostalgia about it. Um, and I think it just, uh, it does everything that I want a film to do. I wonder whether people, uh, whether younger generations are finding this film, because it feels yeah. to me like a, definitely our generation, it was a classic in your teens when your tastes are starting to change a bit. Mm. You'd found this film and it was like everyone just adored this film. Yeah. Anyway, this is your choice of song. Okay. Dan Clark Talks Films on Fubar Radio. Now that's uh, that's sort of got me a bit depressed. Really? <laughs> no, it's a beautiful piece of music, but um, yeah. I think remembering the film, there's something very, very tragic about it all. Well, that is the the thing, isn't it? I mean, I love comedy. I think that's the thing. I love comedy and I love tragedy, and this has both yeah. in equal measure. And so, so we've got an idea of your favourite film, which is always a good thing before we talk about your guilty pleasure, because you know I, I don't want people. I think some people are nervous about talking about a guilty pleasure mm. and everyone going, God, is that his taste in you know, yeah, movies yeah. or something? But we know you have really good taste in movies. So, um, but your guilty pleasure is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't even say, can't it. Even say it. Your guilty pleasure is carry on, follow that camel. Yeah. Or as it's truly known, just follow that camel. Yeah. Or as I found out recently, it was known in the US, I believe, carry on, carry on the Legion or something like that. Carry on in the Legion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's one of the only, uh, I think the only other one was carry on, uh, don't lose your head, which was technically just don't lose your head. Right, right. Um, Why do you love this film so much? Well, um, so it's really, it's part of like my love of the carry on yeah. films in general. Um, so when I was, when I was young, I have an older brother and we, for some reason, and so it was he, him that discovered, and I, I, you know, I have to credit him with a lot of my kind of comic influences because mm-hmm. he was always, a, obviously, obviously he was always a few years older than me and still is. Um, <laughs> and he, um, how does he do that? I know. It's clever, isn't it? <laughs> Trying yeah. to catch up, but yeah. he, um, so he, he kind of got into the carry on films and I was probably about six at the time, five or six. And so our sort of regular Saturday morning ritual would be to come downstairs and watch VHS like reruns of carry on films. And we watched every single one over and over again to the point where we would off actually know them off by heart. And of course, at the time, I didn't realize that a lot of the jokes were just going way over mm-hmm. my head. And then it was like, and as I was getting older, I was like, oh, I see. I, now I understand. Yeah. Pair, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, but we just loved it. There was some, they're so silly. They were actually really good for children, I think, because... Well, I was, I was going to say, I used to watch them all the time as a kid. Right, like, right. Really, I, I adored carry-on films. And I think it probably wasn't until the day I got aroused by the sight of some bosoms that mm. suddenly the meaning of a carry-on film <laughs> meant something very different right. like it was like that sort of watershed <laughs> moment where you go oh i this yeah this is this is not what i thought it yeah. was you know 
So then uh, why the, follow that camel of all the carry-on? Because it wouldn't be my favourite carry-on film. Right. Um, weirdly, I always liked the contemporary ones. Oh, you know, really? like the carry-on camping and oh, yeah, carry-on yeah. at your convenience. I mean, More I, than the costume, the period ones. I don't uh, know why that is. Yeah, I mean, it's just probably a personal taste yeah. thing. But I, I think I was like into um, I was into history. Like I did a history degree yeah. and stuff. And I, so it was probably that, that, that historical element that, that kind mm-hmm. of... Um, appealed to me as well. I love, I mean, I love Carry On Camping. I mm-hmm. mean, that's probably the best one, isn't it? I think. Possibly, yeah. It's the, mo- it's the most Carry On Carry yeah. On. Um, but What about all the doctor ones as well? Like, who yeah. <laughs> imagine, you talk about pitching a movie. Imagine going to a studio and going, okay, it's a film set in a hospital. Right. It's, and they're like, and? Well, that's it. Yeah. It's just in a hospital people sort of pinching each other's bums a lot of people getting injected in the bum by yeah. accident yeah um, that would happen in every film somewhat uh who was it is it peter who's uh oh, what was his name peter butterworth butterworth yeah was he the one that had a tent over his penis because he'd obviously just had some kind i think he they never say it but they right. allude to uh I circumcision think, or something right I mean, this is, imagine pitching that <laughs> movie now. <laughs> it would be a hard one. But although they are actually doing, apparently, a new carry-on film. Oh, okay. um, and it was interesting because my, my manager, Josh, called me about it. Because someone had mentioned that they were doing, a, uh, someone had mentioned to him that I would be good for this carry-on film and so and he was like he hadn't even heard of carry he was yeah. like this british thing carry yeah. on um anyway and so but and it was really interesting because he got i can't believe i'm even talking about this because of course i loved the carry on films but at the same time to do a re to, to do yeah. the updated one ah oh, just feels so i don't want to say you know it could work i suppose it just feels like a real i'm not tricky yeah I'm challenge not, i'm not convinced because because obviously one of the things we love about those films was seeing those same people yeah. again and again and getting used to them and, it's the know, troop, and isn't having it? people it's... like kenneth williams yeah. in your film I and mean, they work retrospectively as well they don't i don't think you can do that humor now well you say that there is a trend in the uk now of mm. slightly more broad kind of a bit more end-of-peer-ish humour. Right. I'm not sure if it's quite as double entendre as, as that, but... Yeah. don't know. So follow yeah. that camel, right? Follow that camel. Yeah. So I think that what it was, was partly the historical thing, even though it's not really, you know, yeah. accurate historically. Um, and I think it was just the Jim Dale playing that... This it was a very funny setup of Jim Dale playing this sort of upper class English man who goes to the French Foreign Legion but takes his butler or his manservant mm-hmm. and he basically you know, he's sort of in the army, he's like a real hardcore army platoon, but he's sort of acting like he's still an upper class guy and like you know, he has his manservant running his bath and sort of you know, getting of him dressed in the morning and stuff. And it's just a funny Blackadder. Yeah. Yeah, there is. It's just a funny setup. Um it's, it's the first... and it's got Phil Silvers in it, yeah. which is quite you know, it makes well, it quite a unique. Weird one. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, Kenneth Williams as well plays someone straight in that in that film. <laughs> Doesn't he in a lot of his film? Uh, in a lot I of the carry-ons, so yeah. I don't think they ever allude to it. I mean, uh, there's no, normally an Im- implication. I is think. Is there? That, yeah, I think so. I know in Carry On Camping that um, H- 
Patty Jakes is really trying it on with him. Yeah, he's normally and, got yeah, yeah women that are trying yeah. to. Because yeah, you know he's, he's a sex magnet, off. isn't he? <laughs> Oh, uh, what a weird, what a strange, weird and wonderful yeah. world. It was like it was, there's something very innocent and nostalgic, but also about it, apparently very tragic behind the scenes. You know, like mm. um, Kenneth Haltry was a raging alcoholic. Charles, he, Charles, he, yeah. Ch- Charles Haltry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, he, I think he had his legs amputated at Did one he? point. Yeah, um, you know they were all sort of by accounts sort of sleeping with each other and right you know, they do have old... yeah they all have strange stories like Hattie Jakes was living in the threesome do you oh, know about that no I don't she was married to John Lemesere and yeah and she uh, a friend of mine did a TV thing about it and but she basically found a young fell in love with a young man yeah. and uh, brought him into the house and they lived in a sort of a weird threesome well there's um, a show right there let's probably cut this out and then right. work on that <laughs> as an idea uh, and then Kenneth Williams, of course, uh, you know, ended it all. And uh, yeah, yeah, and just generally very lonely and and quite yeah, sort of uh, had a lot of demons by all yeah. accounts. This has gone really what dark. Strange it has. Let's end it there. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we well, um, I think it's a brilliant. Uh, would it, I guess the question is: Is it a guilty pleasure or just a pleasure? And in a way, I think all carry-ons just because they're such an institution mm. and because of what they meant to me as a child and as a teen, I don't think I'm going to call it a guilty pleasure. I think it's just a downright oh, really? pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does that mean I have to come up with something else? No, that means you've failed. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. No. I just, um, I just, sometimes I think it's worth, dis- you know, it's like s- some films go through the irony uh, watershed, as mm. it were. So I was chatting to, we had a guest, a couple of weeks back, Jessica Knappett, and she picked Legally Blonde. Mm. And we were talking about how Dirty Dancing for years was a guilty pleasure, but now it seems that the irony's just gone, and it's just people just love it. Right. It's not like a film that, you know, oh, I know it's shit, but I love it. It's just, oh, I love it. Mm. And maybe that happens with lots of time. Yeah, I suppose you know? so. Especially if something manages to not be forgotten, there's a yeah. reason for that. Yeah, and you know, yeah, there's a, there's good reason that we're still talking about carry on. Exactly. So, uh, but it's still a brilliant choice, and I, I like the fact that it's an unusual carry on. Oh, thanks. It's not the obvious one. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for uh, uh, speaking to me. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Thank um, you. Good luck with when's Mo- uh, Moonwalkers out. Well, it came out here actually a few weeks ago um, in, in, a, in, in America, America. Yeah. and it comes out in the UK in May, the end of May. Okay, so uh, watch out for Moonwalkers. Um, thank you very much. Thanks. This is a FUBAR Radio podcast. Go to foobarradio.com for more details.